Welcome to Natural Recovery from Suffering. This is Scott Killaby. <laughs> what a topic tonight. Because I've taught I've not shared specifically, if you look at the previous podcast episodes, I have not shared specifically on these topics around buried anger. And I I called the I called the podcast today the episode All the Rage. Because honestly, I think everyone who's listening ought to know that I and others have watched our chronic pain, contraction, depression, anxiety, stories, identities go away by making anger conscious. Mm, not so fast. <laughs> no, making the conditioning conscious that says you can't get angry. Because that's the repression that science says creates a lot of suffering. In my view, that's it. The, the mind-body connection that literally holds back, well, if you're an anger repressor, holds back anger. And I'm sorry, sadness repressors and hurt repressors, I cannot talk that intimately about that repression. I'm going to bring on some guests at some point so you can hear your experience reflected back a little bit more. Um, and so if you're somebody who gets angry a lot in your life, nah, you're probably not an anger repressor, so just listen from a different place, right? So not from as if this is your repression too, and you can relate to it. This is for all the people, a lot of people don't who don't know their anger repressors listening right now. I think my audience kind of knows because they've already taken the test and they do the work, but there might be people who stumble upon this who, they listen to this like, oh, Scott Killaby's an anger repressor, that's funny. I didn't know that. And then they are an anger repressor. <laughs> and that's how that works. It's much more like that than anything. Nobody comes into these doors kicking and or just screaming through the doors. I'm an anger repressor and I know it. And I, yes, I know it. And I'm ready to work on that. Let's go. I mean, it's true that once people hear about it and read the science and hear me talk about it, that they do get excited because this, this gets to the root of suffering. But I mean, to be honest, does anybody really want to go and bring up the conditioning behind rage that you buried, that you don't even know you buried? Even if all these people are saying, hey, it's all the rage, <laughs> you should do it. Yeah. That's the funny thing about buried anger to me. That's about the only thing, or maybe I'm just not a comedian, that's about the only thing that I think is funny. There's a lot of ironic, funny in a ha-ha way. There's a lot of really a different kind of funny thing about buried anger. A lot of like quirky, like, oh, that's odd. Is that true about buried anger? Or, oh, I didn't know that. That's, that's funny. Yeah. Or, oh, that's interesting. Really? I do that? Uh-huh. That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's more like that kind of funny. Like, isn't this funny? But before we get to all that, because I've got some, I, I hope you'll see that I have some things up my sleeve that might surprise you, actually. Unless you're going, unless you're doing this work, and then it won't surprise you. Before I get there, I just wanted to talk about the joy, because you know, when I first thought about doing this podcast, it was a, it was one day much much earlier, when I'd already done a lot of anger repression work, and I remember I was in the bathroom. Yes, I was on the toilet. That, that's not funny, but I just was reading something. Said, God damn, fuck that. To something I was reading. I started laughing. 
I mean, and, I, and it wasn't that my anger was a source of the joy. It's the fact that I can get angry, that I don't repress that, that that, that fear is not held in my body anymore. So the fear of joy and just of being myself isn't there. That's why I was laughing. But it almost sounded like if you were just watching me, and I hope you wouldn't if I was on the toilet, but if you were watching me, you would think, that's weird. He just got really angry, and then he laughed. Is he a psychopath or something? <laughs> no, it's just that I found my joy buried with my anger. And it's not that I get joy from anger. It's when you do this work to make conscious the conditioning that says you can't get angry, you're afraid of it, you also make conscious the fear that keeps your joy down. I know it's hard to believe if you haven't done the work yet. It might be hard to believe. We don't want to believe it. That's the funny thing. We don't want to believe that. I mean, I can't speak for you. <laughs> you tell me. Uh, we don't want to. I mean, who wants to hear that who buries anger? Who's jumping up right now and saying, oh, my God, I'm so glad to hear that my joy is with my rage. Isn't this a funny thing that I do? Now, as a so-called non-dual teacher that basically is just saying, go feel what you didn't want to feel and you'll have the non-dual realization embodied because the whole path is about trying to get away from what you buried. That would be funny if it didn't create so much suffering. That really would be funny, actually, because it is, it's ironic, if anything, just how anger repression shows up. And that's what this podcast episode's really about. It's not that I've been able to curse freely. You know, because when you bury anger, you have to bury the expletives, you know. No, it's, it's not that I... In fact, once you do the anger repression work, after a while, you don't even store it anymore. So you're sitting there reading, you don't feel angry at things that you read. But see, if all your life you had to bury the anger... You're sitting there reading something, you can't even express anger, even if there's nobody there. You, you can't even express it to the page out loud. I don't know, like the page will judge you or something. The paper will think you're a bad person if you, you know what I mean? This is how repression is. It just controls us. You know, but some anger repressors will sit at home and let it out privately in safe ways. But a lot of us won't because we don't even know we're angry. We're just suffering. And we're lucky if we know that our anger repression is the root of suffering. That's not funny. But if aliens were watching it and they saw us, they would probably laugh if they could laugh, I would think. They would say, look at how they go everywhere in their life. They do everything possible to be free and, and it's all in their body. All they need is it right there in their body. That's driving all of what they're doing and their freedom is they go in there and feel the stuff they don't want to feel, but they won't do it. And so they do all these crazy things, which I'm going to talk about in this podcast tonight. Like I, that to me would be, that is a context in which buried anger could be funny if it wasn't us, excuse me, talking about it. I just had a slight accident, but I'm Okay. My mic stand just kind of tipped over a little bit. I don't know. Maybe if you can if you can sit back as if you're, you know, I love 
to talk about ETs. And just imagine then, if you want to enjoy this from a distance, because it might touch you in certain ways that are personal, then maybe listen to it as like, we're just watching the humans. It's a sitcom. I'm going to tell you about the humans who bury anger and the stuff that I've seen. And it's not always going to be funny. It'll be a drama at times. And poignant, hopefully. But stay tuned. I've got some stuff to tell you. Well, there isn't anything funny really about anger or certainly buried anger. Through the years, to me, this is how this is my experience. You may have a different one, especially if you don't bury anger in the way that I did. But to me, there was just nothing good about anger. Nothing. I heard a teacher recently say, which I disagree with now, say there's never a reason to bring anger in or to feel or express anger in a relationship or a trying to resolve a dispute. And that's exactly how I used to think. It's like there's nothing good about that. And so I had condition that says I had to be I have to be good. And that was right in my body with I have to hold anger back. So when when we say, you know, there's nothing good about it or we shouldn't bring anger in, we're not speaking from clarity necessarily, but from fear. And that's not funny, but just notice the irony. That's what I mean as like if you're if as if you're you know, a being on another planet, you're watching the sitcom called Humans. And and it's a show about repression and how we deceive each other or really gaslight ourselves and gaslight each other. And everything that we show on the surface is like a facade. And everything that's buried is what was true for us, but it didn't feel safe to feel and express that. So whatever we hold back that's true for us we're forced to identify with what's false. So no, it's not really funny, but it's, I mean, <laughs> it's like a comic tragedy. When I was in college, well, first of all, let me tell you this. When I was a kid, my dad used to sit next to me from time to time and cry. And I didn't realize that was an unusual situation until I grew up and f had friends who said, yeah, my dad never did that. I'll just tell you that that just seemed normal. My dad repressed anger. So I never got, saw anger modeled, except for when he would hold it in so much and then it would just be really explosive to where everybody was afraid of it. But he would cry. And sometimes it was because he was sad, because, um, you know, somebody died or we lost something or whatever. Sometimes because he was hurt by my mom or by something that happened. I visibly saw him cry and show hurt. So... For me, it felt safe to feel and express that emotion in my house, but not at school when I was bullied. And it did not feel safe to be angry at my house, and I buried that. And so did my dad. But I'm, I'm just sitting there being watching my dad, and as I'm a kid, I don't know anything. You know, I don't know what I know now. So I didn't realize that my dad doesn't show anger, and this is why he's showing vulnerability more easily, which is fine. That's just who he is. But again, then I don't know how to feel and express my anger because his is buried, mine's buried. But I am learning about vulnerability. And I learned that it's okay. And so, for example, I get to college and I have buried anger. Remember, And this buried anger is what's creating everything that I'm about to tell you. 
It's producing it. Because first of all, with buried anger or buried anything, you can't be who you really are. So whatever happened when I was a kid, when I buried these things, whoever I really am got buried with it. And it's not a thought or a story or whatever that's buried. We're not recovering stories of who we are. Our authentic self is buried because our emotions are buried. We can't feel and express what's true for us. So we can't know who and what we are really when we have buried stuff. And I didn't know any of that either. So I get to college and I have this underlying sense that I'm unlovable. And I also am like, oh my God, I'm, there are boys everywhere. And they're so hot. And I, my own swimmer buddies, I sometimes would fall in love with, you know, and I would sit at or lie in bed at night in my dorm room and create drama in my consciousness around guys that I wasn't even with. So I would pine after these guys who were straight or bi, and then that would confirm my unlovable story unconsciously. So I chose these men unconsciously to confirm that I'm unlovable. But the sense of unlovability with the sense of deficiency, see, like there's something wrong with me, something is missing, that was actually coming from the repression. I was missing the anger and other things that I had buried. So there was a sense of lack or deficiency coming from the repression. I go into college, I on some level believe I'm unlovable. I pick these men. They, because they won't love me back, but I don't know I picked them for that reason. They hurt me because that's what I want, but I don't know that <laughs> because it's unconscious. I feel unlovable. That confirms the deficiency story. That is good to bring the hurt up and the sadness, which means I'm safe from anger. I didn't know that. And you can't know that when you repress anger. You can't know. I couldn't know that when I was lying in bed at night dreaming up these dramatic scenes where they're hurting me, not physically, but like breaking my heart. And I'm, I mean, the hurt that I'm feeling in that dorm room bed is intoxicating. It's not bad. I don't repress that. I don't repress sadness. So I identified with it. Why did I identify with it? Because whenever you hold back what's true for you, I held back anger and femininity and other things. Those were buried. I was forced to identify with something false. I was identifying with all this hurt. I was actually creating it from the buried anger and then wallowing in it for an identity and then looking around other people so that they would confirm it and they did because I unconsciously chose them to do that, creating my own suffering. I don't know it. Now, I don't know if this is a comedy or a tragedy if somebody's watching, but <sighs> now, see, now it brings me joy to tell this story because to share this most innermost these aspects of myself that have been uncovered is part of being my authentic self. To share it is great joy with you. So that's ironic and funny. It's a source of joy. But it's tragedy. It's <laughs> suffering that I was creating myself. And beyond using certain emotions that are safer and using them in a way, aren't we? We're just unconscious to it. We use anything we can to stay safe from what's buried. And we don't know that. And so I used to also use, well, should I just go to the another segment and tell you this? Yeah, I will. I'm going to tell you how I used vulnerability, unconsciously, of course, to gaslight myself and other people 
And so I used vulnerability as a, both a weapon and a shield. Stay tuned. Well, you guys know my story, so you know it didn't stop there. I went into these different bands. I said, you know, rock bands, and I played, I sang in and played guitar in and fell in love with the guitar players over and over, also straight or bi. And then I dreamt up the hurt even before it happened. And then sometimes they would reciprocate some, and then that would hurt me, and then I would wallow in, the, in that hurt and woundedness. And that was intoxicating. And I kept suffering, kept choosing those men unconsciously, because that's what I wanted unconsciously, to stay safe and get love. Stay safe from the buried anger and my fear of that, and fear, therefore, of being myself, my authentic self. Didn't know any of that was creating my own suffering. <laughs> Not very funny, right? Shouldn't have started out the podcast that way. But it is. It brings me joy because now this work has shown me all of that, that I was creating all my suffering in college and in all those bands because I had to. And you have to also if you're suffering because that's how repression is. So... You know, all through those years, it wasn't just wallowing in those kinds of emotions that were safer and that I was identified with on the surface, but it was also unconsciously using, well, now I know, but I didn't know then, because anger didn't feel safe, because being myself, my authentic self just wasn't safe, and that's how, that's how it is for people who are suffering. I used vulnerability as a weapon, or you could say as a shield, however you see it, so many scenarios where somebody would be coming at me, I would, I would always surround myself with people who were not angry, though. So when people would get upset with me, men that I was dating or whatever, they would be upset but not angry, right? But the way that I would deflect, because they were often anger repressors, like my dad, I was chasing my dad like so many of us do, I would deflect by being vulnerable if I upset them. And that would deflect their, their upset. And then I would even, by focusing on how I'm hurt, I could get them to, if they were angry, to get their anger to come down or to change how they're talking to me. And basically, I was gaslighting myself in that I had buried anger, and my triggers were activated by buried anger, but I didn't know it. And, I didn't, and so by not knowing it, I'm invalidating my experience each time that I'm using vulnerability to manipulate people. But I don't know this. But that's how gaslighting is. It's often unconscious. And then I would gaslight other people see, to get them to respond to me differently and not from their upset, by being vulnerable. Quote, unquote, end quote. Because is that really vulnerability? If I'm using it that way? I just didn't know. And so I just want to talk about it because that's suffering. All those relationships were suffering. Why not talk exactly about what it is, or, you know, be very precise about what that is. Because other people are doing the work. And maybe this helps, you know, just to look at your own life and see patterns and how repression creates those patterns on the surface. 
So using vulnerability as a weapon and a shield worked for many years in relationships. I also never surrounded myself with people who were angry. That's funny about buried anger is that we surround ourselves with people who, well, often do, not always, with people who also bury anger because that's safer. And I just didn't know that either because repression runs things. You know, it runs your life, your relationships. It's just hard to see it because it's repressed. But I kept using that in different ways, vulnerability, unconsciously, because I couldn't express anger. Then I met Chester. And, well, before I talk about that, let me talk about the great payoff. Because there's an elephant in the room here when we're talking about this, which is there is a great payoff or payoffs for burying anger. And I mean huge payoffs. That's the elephant here. Because... I got love and stayed safe by bearing anger. I suffered because our conditioning makes us suffer, but my conditioning was successful those years by keeping me safe and getting me love. That has to be acknowledged. And in so many ways, by being a good listener, by not getting angry, by doing manipulation from behind the scenes through vulnerability and not through anger, not being myself, not knowing what that is, Blaming suffering on someone else often. You know, the payoff was not just that people liked me or that that you can stay safe and get love. It's they're just moments, so many of them that I remember where by not saying something, it felt like I wouldn't lose the person. So many moments. When I wanted to say, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> or even stronger than that. And I didn't. And I just kept bearing that and bearing that and bearing that. That's the payoff. Because you get love in every moment you do that, or you think you do, or you protect yourself. And then you suffer, we suffer. And I did. I just didn't know any of this. And so when I met Chester, the payoff stopped working. The payoff of meaning, if I could be vulnerable, I can, I can get what I want. This is all still unconscious by the time I meet Chester. I didn't know I had anger repression when we first met. So he's the first person that I've been in a relationship with, as I've said, who could get angry overtly towards me. And then that's when I no longer could use vulnerability as a weapon or a shield. I needed someone to stand up to me. And, well, before I met Chester, I couldn't defend myself. So stay tuned. Got some more stories that will illuminate this. When I met Chester seven years ago, I was someone who really didn't defend themselves. But I didn't know that I couldn't defend myself, that I had anger repression. But I just knew that I didn't defend myself. And I had a whole lifetime. And even though that in, in spirituality, you're sort of rewarded, speaking about payoffs, 
if you're non-reactive, you know, then people think that you're clearer necessarily sometimes just because you don't get angry. You know, so my anger, with anger repression, I slid right into spirituality because my ego wasn't overt anger. It was inner anger, anger repression. Reject myself. It was all unconscious storing of anger, not outward. So all my life, not being able to defend myself, which I'll tell you about in a second. When I met Chester, I also didn't have a deficiency story that I could detect in my awareness. I'd done so much inquiry on the wrong things. Like so many non-dual teachings, I was focusing on identity and ego and awareness only and not focusing on the root of repression, excuse me, the root of suffering, repression. So when I met him, you know, I didn't know there were any identities there because we tend to only look at the suffering, right? The visible suffering. So I looked at the story of I'm unlovable or I'm wrong or those identities of self-limiting beliefs and separation and all that of what I thought was my identity. But there was just something below all that. By the time I met him, I was living as just a lot of quiet stillness, frankly, and chronic pain. <laughs> but I just want you to know my experience before I explain something here. Um, I had done so much work on the identity level that I was no longer in the pattern of choosing men who wouldn't love me back. Chester loved me back. The pattern of unlovability and what I was doing in college and with those bands ended through the awakening and inquiry process. But I wasn't done and I still had anger repression. So I was just living at, in and as presence with this buried anger repression and I didn't defend myself. And he was the first man that I was with who would, you know, be overtly angry towards me. No, more than that. See, <laughs> you all don't know things that people might say about me online, derogatory way. I live with somebody who says no to me all the time and whatever else he wants to say, frankly. And I love it because it's, it's freed me completely to open myself up to someone I love. He's actually, I love him. He just says, he's just that way. And so this was a completely different relationship for me at a time when I was having chronic pain with, that was coming from buried anger. I want to talk about here is how I didn't defend myself when I first met him and he would get angry. Now, let's go back. Remember I told you about my dad, who, of course, never modeled anger, and then we were both anger repressors, and I never learned to defend myself, and I was an anger repressor in my household. And when I was bullied for three years in grade school, at the end of that, my dad came up one day to me and said, Son, you know, if, if kids bother you or a kid hits you, you hit them back. It's one of those moments where I just froze. There was no thought. But the memory of the feeling was, or is, I can't. It's like he was trying to just tell me, it's like take your hand and your fist and just punch them. You don't understand when you have anger and aggression and repression, you hold your life force back. It's, it's how you present yourself in the world as someone who can't and will not. And I couldn't. 
So there was shame there in that moment too, which just added, because shame is very connected to rage, buried rage. And that's just those moments where you know you can't, you got anger repression, you don't know that, but you can't, and then there's shame, and the shame attaches to the anger repression. And we don't realize how shame is attached to our repression until we get here quite often to this work. It's there in moments that we may not even remember, remember happening. And maybe you do remember them. Fast forward several decades, I'm playing in a band in Nashville. I'm a waiter, a head waiter. And so I know everybody and everybody likes me, you know. That's how I got to be the head waiter with my, well, a guy that I fell in love with, my guitar player. Here's another one. And he was rejecting me and I was feeling unlovable. This was years ago. And I had a really good relationship with everybody in the restaurant. Uh, but this one, we hired this new waiter, and after about a couple of weeks, I got to know him. He said, can I borrow your car? I just want to go to the store, and I want to buy my wife a gift. I mean, I had a drug problem, and I just want to make it up to her. And, you know, me as this peacemaker, go along with everything. Yeah, sure, take my car. Four days later, he brings my car back to the restaurant leaves it in the parking lot and leaves and so yeah i called the police and all that uh but i'm the the cook the head cook looks at me and said well i went out there and kicked his ass why didn't you go out there and kick his ass i knew you were gay when you didn't go out there and kick his ass uh, it's one of those freeze moments i can't you don't understand, and shame. And then that shame piles on in those moments in ways we don't even know. Because we're already afraid, I'm already afraid to stand up for myself or defend myself. And then someone notices, and it, that just buries it more. And so when I go to inquiry later, I meet these layers of shame. And because we're so unconscious, I, I think, well, what does that have to do with anger? That doesn't make any sense. And that's exactly how the repression wants it because it's totally connected. As I went back to some of these moments and, and noticed that I in fighting back, there's shame even in the fact that I can't or get angry. It's attached right to it. And I'm angry at Dad for even saying that and feeling shame at the same time in that memory. It's so attached. Or the memory of that restaurant and feeling like, I'm so angry at that guy who took my car, but it's buried, and I want to kick his ass, but I can't, and I'm ashamed. And you're seeing me. People are seeing me. See how it attaches? And also by the time I meet Chester, not only do I not sense this, you need more negative ego identity. Negative. <laughs> because there's still this, I have to be good, I have to be peaceful, I have to be vulnerable, buried conditioning. And this is what I have to tell you all because you may not know being vulnerable, being good, and being peaceful can first be a trauma response if you have buried anger. And it's not really the authentic peace, vulnerability, freedom that you're looking for because of the repression, and I didn't know this. I'm trying to tell you that, that you know, even using vulnerability as a shield or a weapon, I just didn't know. And if I could say, if I could say something to you right now where you hear it, and you start to end suffering like I never could, it's worth it.
but what wasn't just that I didn't I didn't have a negative identity negative that I saw when I met Chester so I didn't so there was no longer a pattern of unlovability I wasn't choosing men who wouldn't love me so I chose him he loved me back but he's the first person who could get angry or that I let into my life and even as a teacher and being an angry repressor I had surrounded myself with people who just didn't say no to me or speak up and then here he was just saying no and speaking up all the time and getting angry from time to time now I've already went through that I've already told that story and I don't want to do it here again I just want to explain a part of this which is well we're going we're in the Jeep one day and he's angry at me and but I but see my normal as I've said in these previous podcasts as an anger repressor my trauma responses were freeze or flee it wasn't fight early in the relationship I had done some anger repression work by this time and I had some insight and some freedom but um, in that when I was in the Jeep I couldn't leave I couldn't flee and for some reason the freeze response was not enough to keep me safe I suppose and what happened is that I expressed that I was hurt by something that he said and for a moment that felt really true and then it didn't anymore for me and then right when I noticed it didn't feel true he turned towards me and pointed at me and he said you're being fake you know that moment when you somebody says something and it's true and you can defend yourself but you don't really have a defense because it's true that's that that's not I guess it was a freeze moment too when he said that because you know you freeze also when someone says something that you can't see but you know it's true you know you might need to defend yourself but I couldn't in that moment because I saw that so I pulled away and then I saw he was right I was angry in that moment as an anger repressor and he could see that because he grew up with a parent who was an anger repressor so he had his antennas up for that trauma response and people that he loves. And it showed up and he called it out. No wonder I wanted to be in a relationship with Chester, right? So that I could see this about myself. Well, needless to say then, um, well, I don't know if it's needless to say, but being able to defend myself, to protect myself, both verbally, emotionally, physically, is a necessary part of my freedom, my embodied freedom and my health, good health and authenticity. And yes, it's good in every way for me. It has been. It's been the source of my joy. I have joy now. If I couldn't have that with the anger repression, I'm healthy. I don't have pain. So I trust this completely. But the whole defending yourself thing, that may be why I'm doing this episode, what I'm about to talk to you about, including what happens on this path. Because I've had to see so many things about that, and everything in my world has been turned upside down with regard to defending yourself and what that has to do with freedom too and awakening and embodiment that's the important thing here for many of you right 
Okay, stay tuned. As I was about to record this segment of the podcast, <laughs> what came up for me first was, you guys, I don't think I can articulate this part of it. I can, but everybody's in such a wildly different place on this path, and there are definitely patterns and, and, and phases that people go through with regard to anger repression when they're doing this work. And that's what I want to talk about. And this is the juicy stuff for the path here. And for our lives, this, 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 what happens on the path when we're doing this work is directly affecting our lives and relationship and health. And you'll see it. That's why we call it inside out. What we're doing on the, at the unconscious level with repression, that's the inside, is inseparable from and directly affecting the outside from our bodies, pain, disease, relationship, and you'll see it. Well, I'm not going to teach here. I mean, I think it's just teaching is sharing is teaching. That's don't worry. This is not just like we're going back to the path. And no, this is this is as much about my own personal transformation as being a teacher right now. I think you guys know that by now. The way I talk. That's why I don't talk about hurt and sadness repression much because I can't talk about it directly. Obviously, my dad could sit and cry with me, and I use hurt. And well, it was intoxicating. I mean, you can see more of me now. And I'll talk, I'll talk about what my real vulnerability is, hopefully, if I can remember to get to it, and how, that, how I know that it's real, that it's actually authentic, and I'm not just using it in some way, or wallowing in it, or identified with it. Mm. Gosh. But the words, as soon as I thought I was speechless, and I couldn't do this segment, the words came up, Freedom doesn't happen in a straight line. And actually, the original line is a Casey Musgrave song, and it may be from somewhere else. Healing doesn't happen in a straight line. But here, I'm just going to use the word freedom, because healing has got some, some people have issues with that word. <laughs> and it certainly doesn't. Freedom does not happen in a straight line. But there are certainly patterns that we should all be aware of when we get here and we keep doing the work. And here I just want to talk about what we go through in our personal lives, in our relationships. And real quick, because I leave out hurt and sadness repressors because it's not my repression, let me say this real quick. Your journey here is unique. Each of you have your own journey. You're not even lumped together. But those who have hurt or sadness repression, I've watched you come in here angry, many of you. Angry at the world, angry at your parents, angry at me eventually. Early, because you can't get to the hurt if you can't get to it. But then you get to it, many of you who are earnest, and you just open up. I don't know what the word is, but <laughs> I feel such love for how you open up when you're earnest here. It's almost just like a flower, though. It's just about love for you guys. And it's just and it's, it's about love for us anger repressors, too. We just get there differently. But for you... Your hardness, some of you who repress vulnerable emotions, your hardness or your toughness is, is transformed into power. And then there's the vulnerability comes to the surface, which is real for you. And you stop being so angry, but you still have anger if you need it. If you go deep on this path. And yeah, your journey is just so unique. And you see that you're creating your own suffering too. And that you have to be hurt or sad at the very unconscious level. And you're creating it all. 
and I've watched you guys go through it. And it's a beautiful thing. And I wish I could experience it directly and talk about it as a teacher directly more because it's its own beautiful thing, really. But I can't. So I wanted to mention that, though. And again, I want to try to bring people onto my YouTube and here who have that repression or those repressions so they can represent. <laughs> but, okay, back to what I know directly. God, the speechless part is is this. I thought, I, I to me it was so simple before I did anger repression work. It's, look, it's rest as awareness, let it all come and go, right? That's the non-dual thing. And then, of course, that keeps the anger buried because the anger was already buried and repression doesn't arise, so you can't allow or come to come and go something that doesn't arise. So the repression stays with us and continues to create suffering, perhaps in different ways. And what I didn't understand is in just resting as awareness and allowing everything to come and go, you don't get to the repression, so you don't get to often the conditioning that says, I have to be good. I have to be peaceful. I have to be vulnerable. Like there's a command in our bodies to show hurt, some of us, to stay safe from anger. That's what we're finding. So when I say that I was using vulnerability to, to, as a weapon or shield, I'm not kidding. I'm not joking. I'm telling you, it's discoverable in your body if you have that. So we got to get real. Anger repressors, just like all of us, though, but I'm talking about us right now, we have got to get real to heal <laughs> or to be free. And and I think that a lot of us are like me is, is when you get here, just the resting as awareness or just meditation or just mindfulness or just things that don't get to repression, you miss this programming of I have to be good, I have to be peaceful, that sadness is safer, perhaps, or whatever it is. And... So when you start this work, a lot of you, like me, you have these assumptions about freedom. For example, you might look at people who are reactive and you might have shadows around them or sh those might be shadows for you. Like I've watched people come in here as anger repressors and they look at people who've been in the work for a while and the people who've been in the work as anger repressors for a while, they can speak up, they can speak their mind more. And so therefore they, they also might from time to time express anger but when somebody who starts the path looks at that they'll often go mm, yeah she's just triggered sort of reducing that person's experience to something when you know what is a trigger because to me a trigger is when you're holding on to something something isn't felt or expressed and so you carry the suffering over in time and not every expression is a trigger. But sometimes, or we'll say something like, oh, well, she's got some work to do, doesn't she? Look at, look at how opinionated she is. And we don't realize that those are shadows for us who start the path because we've stayed in anger repression by looking at the world and people who are reactive or upset or even angry or aggressive as, that's bad. I can't do that. And so in saying that, we're coming from the conditioning within us that says, I have to be good. I have to be peaceful. I have to do something, right? To keep the anger down. To stay safe and get love. So you have to be really careful at the beginning of the path to do 
our shadow work. That's You've heard me say it, and this is why. Because as you look at people who are deeper in the path, those are your shadows. And the people who go even deeper in it, who are just doing exactly what they want, they don't care what the fuck anybody thinks, but they're still very loving and compassionate. That might be appealing to you and triggering. Because if you can't show up that way, that's going to trigger that repression in the body that says, hmm, i got to stay safe from whatever that person is expressing. Keep that buried. So it, that's the tricky thing about this work, is that people get increasingly free in the you know depths of freedom. The people coming in, <laughs> look at them and go, mm-hmm, yeah, it's, what, why are you so... And it's, it's just going to keep people trapped because the people who are just coming in are in repression. So they don't know yet that they can't do that. Or maybe they do. But when you look at people who are doing something that you can't do and you have energy on that, that's a shadow coming from your repression. If you look at them with just judgment, that's how the repression work. It paints over what's going on and says, and it just looks like judgment it looks like you're right and that protects you from the buried anger so a person who's been doing the work expresses themselves a certain way and you say mm, that's arrogant and so for you that feels true why does it feel so true you might say because it is but that's what your system wants you to believe it feels true because it keeps you safe from what the energy within your own body that if it were to be expressed, it could be seen as arrogant. And that's often anger, power, the things that the people repress when they come here who shadow that out. See? We, me, I was an anger repressor. That's my repression, so I know this well. So I stayed in repression is by looking at people in the world, including in spirituality, who were reactive and like, I don't want that. Because I didn't understand that my ego was like inverted. <laughs> I don't know how to say it, but it was covert. So my whole way of presenting in the world was to make sure that you didn't see my anger or upset because I wanted to get your love and approval and stay safe from that buried stuff. So I was conditioned to show up in a certain way and then still suffer because as long as there's repression, there'll be suffering. It's the science there, and we can trust that, our own bodies, our own experience. And so I just watch people go through the, the, the work, and it's, God, it's just no words for what's happening here. It's unbelievable to look, to be one of the co-developers and to see this whole thing, and Dan knows it too, and sees it also, and so do Toshi and others. But there's just so much going on here and so much richness. But if we're not aware and we don't have good context about what we're doing, we're going to get stuck in different places along the path. We get, we get stuck as soon as we get started because the shadows come up. Like I've had people look at my own videos and say, I just don't like how you're showing up. And I'm thinking, well, okay, but what if that just keeps you safe? Because I don't think this is about that you're supposed to just like me. I think this is about your freedom. And freedom, you know, doesn't happen in a straight line if we come here and as soon as we get here, we just got issues with people. <laughs> you know, like Scott, Dan, what the fuck are you guys doing? And, and these people in the members area who I just, they're expressing themselves, what the hell? 
and I'm not doing this work. And then when I do the anger repression work, it's like, God, there's a lot of energy here. I don't want to feel anger. And then we just stop and we use all those shadows and judgments to confirm that we're justified in stopping. And it's just, it's so innocent. If you could just see, it's just trying to keep you safe. Your sabotage is. But it's not innocent in the sense that it's, there's more suffering coming because of it. So we progress down the path, we anger repressors, and we get over that first part where we think it, that spirituality is still about being kind only or being nice or being quiet and being just being awake because we will see we fixated there, many of us, in different ways to stay safe. And that's all going to go to be authentic and really free, like the really real, real freedom where suffering goes away, not where we just show up in a nice way, a good way or in a peaceful way, or have a peaceful experience. Which isn't sustainable if you have anger repression. Because it's a, it's a conditioning. You have to keep showing up that way and keep generating the peace to bury the anger. It's not natural for us, really, ultimately, to find peace that way through needing to. You know, So many of us are here to find peace because we have a compulsion to find it because we're anger repressors. We haven't realized that. These are all the things at the beginning of the path that will just, you know, will show you that freedom doesn't happen in a straight line. We're our own worst enemy. We're doing it to ourselves. We don't know it. And we only learn that later in the path when we see, you know, oh, I'm creating my own suffering. I mean, we really see it and make that conditioning conscious. But in the beginning, we're still so, so innocently in a place many of us not all of us. You can't generalize about people. But if you, if, if you just worry about pissing people off all the time, you can't ever talk about anything. So we have to do our best with language to point out patterns, you know, so that we can help each other. And this is all about freedom, guys. Let's be real here. <laughs> and so many other great things. <sighs> yeah. It's beautiful. But if we can get past that first part there, there's other traps. And... The other trap, or another one is for anger repressors, it's like the middle of the path. And we haven't yet seen that we're creating our own suffering. So we get stuck right before seeing that because that would be the end of the suffering, <laughs> right? To see that. And so the system goes, nope. And then a number of things happen for anger repressors at this middle stage of the work where they've got a lot of freedom. They're the people who are commenting and being themselves and then triggering people who can't, right? Who are coming in. And they're just, they're not being mean at all. I don't see that. I think people are expressing themselves and sometimes it's being really vulnerable and are talking about shame or just saying, well, I hate my boss or I fucking hate spirituality. Or, I hate this stuff or it's just being real is what it is. And that's that stage of the path where it's like you're getting that real taste of freedom. And I, I did too. I mean, I have stories to tell you about that part of it. But, ooh. We can get stuck there too. All right, I want to talk about that, getting stuck there, and then the freedom that comes if we, if we move beyond that in the last segment. Stay tuned. So if this only just be here now, why is there a beginning, middle, and later stage of the path? Because of the repression. 
It has to have it that way. Repression is running everything. Carl Jung, our unconscious is running everything. It won't let us, very few people just awaken and embody that immediately in any generation. Most of us, we have to go through this process because it's our trauma, you know, the survival separation conditioning. This is all deficiency, lack, repression, that's all the same thing. Fighting back, so to speak, as we get deeper sense of freedom. But, and, but once we make conscious, it's not fighting back. We're creating our own suffering. We just haven't made it conscious yet until the later stage of the path. And that's what I would talk about later. But in this middle stage, it's like our, our repression has, has allowed us to have enough freedom. We're not, we're not, there's no there, but it's the later stage of the path where the freedom is just, just, I don't even know what to say about that, but I'll try later. This middle stage is where we get a lot of testimonials from people who are experiencing a kind of freedom to be their authentic self that they never had before. And it's real. It's not the final thing, but it's real. And I mean, these are the emails where people say, Scott, thank you so much. I can finally feel the rage that I knew was in my body and creating pain for so long. Or Scott, I've learned how to speak up to my husband and we're doing so much better. And I love him so much and I was ready to leave him. Or... Scott, I hate my dad, and because I've made that conscious, I no longer have spinal whatever. These kinds of things. And the middle part of the path is where we already, many of us, are reporting healing even. You see that in the testimonials. But, it's so, but the testimonials in the, in the later stage, which I'll talk about in a second, are different because they often will talk about how there's a seeing that they created it all, the suffering, and how it's gone away, so much of it. But in the middle part, so much has gone away too because they're at that place where, well, I can feel and express anger more, but really it's more about they can just be their authentic self because they can feel and express anger more. And they got there by doing the inquiry. And they didn't get to that freedom by going and getting angry at people or biting a pillow or beating a pillow or screaming. No. They got there by making conscious the conditioning that they can't get angry with the people in their lives, making that conscious. That's what transmuted the energy. So people who are, have anger repression, who are trying to be angry, to release it, they can't. They have unconscious conditioning that you can't release it all that way. It's very hard. Your conditioning won't allow it. You have to make that conditioning that won't allow it conscious. That's how that transmutes better. Or at least that's one way that we know it transmutes much better more efficiently it actually transmutes sorry I'm having my little snack here <laughs> how inappropriate who says um, the middle stage so to speak is a lot of freedom there and still fear of feeling and expressing especially anger to the people closest to you. And this is where people can get stuck. As they dance around their primary and in inquiry practice, meaning they sort of still resist those that conditioning that says, I can't express it to my I can't express it, I can't, I can't, I can't. That conditioning that's so scary to them, they think, their system says, that they will avoid it and 
in practice still in the middle of the path. And they can't get to that seeing where, oh, I'm creating all this. That's the next part of it. So when they get sort of stuck there, we all do a little bit. <laughs> There's a lot of things that go on there. And one thing is those in the middle of the path will start having shadows towards those who are beginning the path as anger repressors. <laughs> and it's a different kind of shadow. And it's like this. They'll look at them. And for example, an anger repressor early in the path is, is, is more likely to post something that looks like a trigger, that looks like they're in a story, to someone who's later in the work who can see that they can't express anger yet. They can see that. So they'll say things like, you know, maybe you should process that. It sounds like you're angry. That's, look, but see, when you first come here, of course you want to process that. That's why you're here. Why are they saying that to you? Because that's their shadow. <laughs> but you may not be able to speak up to them yet. See, that's a shadow for them. They still have their own fear of processing the expression of anger. So when you express something, if, even if it's a trigger, it's st still a trigger for them. They, they're still in resistance. So one of the shadows for people who've done a lot of the work, who's still in resistance, is people who come in with a lot of resistance. But we all come in with a lot of resistance because we all have repression. So it's just kind of scapegoating, you know. Like I've done some work and I'm free and I can, I'm, you know, I have a lot more freedom and then these people coming in and they just can't even express anything. <laughs> They're just getting triggered. They're not really expressing anger. They're just in their stories again. You know, it just comes and it happens. And I'll tell you what the members area is for me, for example, is a place where you can really get free if you see what's going on here. And that's what I'm there, and Dan is there, and all of us are there to help you to see what's going on with regard to how to use the work around all of this and use all of this to actually reverse the repression in your body. Clear it. But you can get stuck. And you can see why it's all for safety. So the people in the middle part of the path, their shadow is just to look at people like, yeah, you're still triggered. Yeah, you're still just in your deficiency story. I understand. But they, see, the people in the middle part of the path, they might not be experiencing deficiency and lack at all or not the same at all. And so when they look at people who are just coming in feeling deficient and lack, they see that as coming from repression. So it's natural for them to sort of have a little trigger towards that because that's something that they had in them. And they didn't like that. That was suffering, but now it's gone away and they just recognize it in the people who were just coming, see? And it becomes a shadow. It's just very natural. All of this. So innocent, but it's so unconscious that it can stop you anytime and you can, yeah, easily stop you if you don't see what's happening. So also here in the middle part of the path, there's this, well there could still be any number of shadows but two things I want to talk about one is the authority shadow now this is something that all anger repressors are, I think should hear because this right here can be the big sabotage is the authority shadow and sadness and hurt repressors have it too for sure my partner Chester has authority issues and he's a sadness repressor. So I don't want to discount that experience at all. But I'm talking about anger repression. And so when we were kids, 
we couldn't be the authority for our own experience to say it that way. We couldn't trust ourselves. Maybe we had an angry dad or some authority, you know, figure or more powerful person who taught us that authority is bad and that we're scared of it. And we buried the anger and the fear of anger that we have towards that authority. So at the surface, when we were adults, we have stories and narratives and shadows towards authority to keep us safe from the buried anger. But we may not know that. See that? And so that's, that can, in the beginning of the path, it can keep people from coming here. If they look at me being an authority on this, it could trigger them. And that's how we sabotage ourselves as anger repressors is we kill the authority too early before all that gets integrated. See, because when we get to the last part of the path, when we, we know we're recreating our own suffering, then we want to kill our heroes and our authority because we are our own authority. We, we're created it all. If there's any shadows at the end, those all get included. We're creating those too. At the end of the path, we see that. Hopefully, you see it earlier in the path, but I'm saying that people kind of get stuck in these other places. So I'm there to help you, Dan is. Don't, don't be too concerned about it. It's just, this is the repression and how it controls things in your life. It's just, it's not there to give you freedom or anything like that or healing. It's there to keep you safe and get you love. And it has a very powerful energy behind it. <laughs> that conditioning does. And that's why it's the source of suffering. Okay, so this middle part of the path, the authority thing, it can happen at the beginning too, as I said, for sure. It's like we sabotage ourselves. We can't be the authority for our own experience, so we look at authority, like me, and there might be a trigger. We don't like authority itself, and so it transfers over to me too. But here I'm trying to help you with the repression that creates the authority shadow. So I'm the authority that could help you with the, the anger repression that creates the authority shadow. And so if, you, if the shadow gets thrown up on me or anyone here who you see as an authority, anyone, then you can imagine how you may not get the benefit of these tools, which is what your nervous system wants. It wants you to stay safe and get love. And then, then you won't pick up the tools and clear the repression. And that's what sabotage is because you came here to clear the repression. And, and the repression created the authority shadow to stop you. And it often happens in the late, in the middle part of the path where people still haven't dealt fully with the fact that they can't express anger to mom or dad or partner. And so they have this also unexpressed and felt anger unexpressed towards authority, like mom and dad, transferred over to me. And so they stop listening to me sometimes in the middle part of the path to stay safe. Let's stop listening to Dan or somebody. And they don't know why. But see, that's a sabotage because if you're still here to receive the benefits that when you go deeper, you won't be able to if I'm the one or if we're the ones that will help you with that. If your anger gets turned towards us and projected outward, it's great that you can express anger at this middle part of the path. If you don't see that still coming from you're still afraid to feel and express it to your family. And that's natural. So, you know, people here get scapegoated. It's like a displacement, and that's safer. It's safer to throw mud at me, even, than it is to feel and express anger towards somebody at home. 
I don't mind. I, I can set boundaries or say whatever I want with that. But I, I wonder if you mind, though, if you see what happens, because you can get stuck there. The authority shadow alone can stop people from the really deeper freedom from seeing. You're even creating that. You created the authority shadow, of course, to stay safe from your buried anger, right? You see it? <laughs> if you don't, inquiry will show it to you. And if you're triggered by me suggesting it, that's the authority shadow trying to keep you safe. Because you need to kill me at the end, not in the middle or the beginning. And kill me is not literal. Don't come. I've, I've had my life threatened. I have as a teacher, like more than once. I was put on a hit list, but that was about being an attorney. So I know all that, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that you have to, the, the, the authority, you're the authority for your own experience. You're the awakeness already. If you allow it all, including what you've buried, you don't need an authority in your life. You would only need it if you can't feel and allow it all and you don't have the tools or the context to get to that. That's why you're here. And so you don't want to kill that authority before you get what you came for because that's you sabotaging yourself, see? And I know it's easier at some stage in the path to just be angry at me or any authority anywhere and still want the freedom. But that's what makes it not happen in a straight line. We do it to ourselves quite often. And I'm not a perfect human being, so I'm sure I'm pissing people off. And, and I know I have accountability at times, of course. But that's my processing to do. So if you make that into your issue, right? It's another distraction. Distractions are okay, right? Because they're keeping us safe. But if we don't point them out. Okay, so there's one in the middle part of the path or anywhere or anytime you have to to be careful with because of the sabotage. Here's another thing, um, that the people in the middle part of the path, and also earlier than that, because these are patterns with anger repression, is, uh, gosh, well, let me say this first. <laughs> to even get to the middle part of the path, you have to be able to defend yourself. You have to go to that conditioning. We don't have to be able to, but you have to do inquiry on, I can't, I can't speak up. I can't say this. I can't set a boundary. I can't get angry. I can't hit the bully. <laughs> I can't. See, that has to be made conscious so that it's not that you go around defending yourself all the time. It's that you can. That you no longer have that conditioning, I should say, that says you can't. You no longer have that energy in the body, that repression there. Or, you know, you're working with it, right? So that's how you sort of get to the middle part of the path is to be able to feel and express anger more, defend yourself, set boundaries, say no, be your own authentic self instead of living for others and going along with and whatever that is for you. Okay, so the other... Um, one of the other issues. Once you can defend yourself, <laughs> you're in this part where it's like, you, you don't, okay, let me say this first. You don't see triggers the same way in this middle part of the path. See, when you come in, it's like it's a trigger. It's like something bad. And a lot of us in spirituality, we use inquiry to, as I've said before, to process the effects of the repression, the identities, the stories that come up in the trigger, which just makes us feel better and more at peace. 
But this is the inquiry here that we do on the repression itself, the repression that creates those triggers. So when you go to the repression that creates the triggers, now you're making conscious emotions that were previously buried, and so the triggers go away. And so you stop experiencing triggers, or they're much less, by kind of the middle part of the path, or they're much less. Why? Because you're feeling and expressing what's authentic. So you don't have to carry over anger in time. That's the trigger to endure, to suffer, to carry over. So you're just feeling and expressing more of what's true for you. There's more presence because you don't have to hold on to that and defend yourself as much. Or if you defend yourself, uh, you do it freely from anger or from really clear, clearer communication, right? Or you process it if you can't. Your body feels different. Things have changed by that point. So I want to acknowledge, you know, that that's some deep work to even get to the part where you have a lot of freedom, but you're still trying to kill the authority that's, you know, or, or this other thing, which is takedown energy, which is related to the authority thing. Okay, I've talked about this before, and I think I did it in a podcast recently, but it's worth talking about because this is such an unconscious movement uh, in our consciousness, you could say, that if you don't talk about it, it can, people can get stuck in it. It's, it's a safety, it's, it's a mechanism of managing safety, actually, from anger repression is what I see. Like all mechanisms or like all, <clears throat> you know, effects of repression, and takedown energy is, let me give you an example. As an attorney, my first job was, as I've told you guys before, to sue. I joined a firm and we sued large corporations for discrimination against African-American men and women. And I was fighting the good fight. See, so I was trying to take down those corporations and take down the discriminators from that anger repression, from that rage within me that I couldn't acknowledge. So on the surface, I have to be good. I have to fight the good fight, right? I have to take them down. And, you know, as a attorney, you think you take them down directly, but you really don't. It's a lot of paper. <laughs> it's pretty safe. You write briefs and say a bunch of things, but you don't ever really look face-to-face -face and argue. You, even when you argue, you argue to the judge, <laughs> you know? It's not a war or anything. <laughs> Sorry, just re remembering things that are funny about that. Well, takedown energy is, it's like, that's just it. It's when you can't hear that. You can't express your anger towards to someone. Or you feel like you can't, I should say. Because you don't have to express your anger towards someone to be free of anger repression. You can process it and make, make conscious the conditioning that says you can't express it. That's the whole point of this work. And takedown energy is just, it's just anger repression. And if you can't express it to someone, then you might go to someone else and then sort of try to take, them, take that person down by safety in numbers, right? You go to people and say, can you believe that, that such and such is doing this? 
And then they say, oh, because they're an angry repressor too. They say, oh, yeah, I know, isn't that awful? And then you get more and more people involved, for example, and you're going to take that person down. So for example, last, I want to give real examples. Last year, at the end of the year, a lot of people had done anger repression work and were in that middle part of the path and some in the beginning, actually. And, you know, it's like every other day I got an email or a message trying to take Dan McClintock down, my co-developer, or Toshi, or Alina, or Serena, or Ina. These are all people that are trainers, mentors, co-developer. And, of course, people trying to take me down to them. And the pattern there was these were a lot of them, most of them, were anger repressors who felt that they couldn't feel and express. Really, it wasn't just to those people directly. Yes, they couldn't. They felt that they couldn't, even though we have a members area where they can post anything they want. And Dan would read it, for example, but they won't. They wouldn't. And so they would come to me and say things to me about Dan trying to take them down and all that, just like they would do about me to Dan and them, right? Because it's the pattern is what I'm talking about. And it's still suffering, even though one feels very righteous, you know. Sometimes you have to take authority down. You have to take someone down. But the best way to do it, of course, is directly if you can. <laughs> to feel and express your true and authentic feelings if there's a way to do it. If there's not, I would say process really make conscious the fact that it feels like you can't and that gives you freedom and that's what's most important with this work is that you get your freedom right um, because to the extent you really can express to people you just won't suffer as much and this takedown energy it destroys relationships and i'm it's not even about authority it's like if you have a group of friends and you don't like what one of them is doing or you're triggered but you can't say it to them and then you go to another one or two of your friends and you start talking about that friend. And it's kind of a takedown. And then within three months, that friend is out of the group. And it had more to do with repression than anything that friend did because you could have talked it out if people could have been real, but, you know, couldn't. It's not just about... I see it happening in the members area, not just towards leadership, this takedown energy, but in circles, in little cliques of people where people are not expressing directly but the real issue is none of that it's none of it is that at home they still can't they're still dancing around this inquiry about expressing some things to the people that i love expressing what's real for me to the people that i love and that's the real source of suffering forget dan mcclintock and scott killaby <laughs> you don't even know us but that's the real source. And when you really see the pattern, whew, that no wonder we resist freedom because, or it's not a straight line, because it can really feel like we can't get angry at mom and dad. You know? It just isn't safe. We have to manage that anger. Stay safe. Or it doesn't feel like we can get angry at our spouse or something. You know what that is? Repression. It's repression. That's what it is. Because the universe does not think that. Presence doesn't think that. What you really are doesn't think that. 
Your conditioning thinks that. That's how you're staying safe. Because really, anger repression work isn't about getting angry at people. Yes, that will happen from time to time. It's about being yourself. And really, the changes that happen first are things like just spontaneously speaking up around something. It's, it might be very light. Like saying, you know what? I think I want to go here instead of there. And you maybe have never been able to say that before. You always let somebody else decide what you were doing. Or you just say, you know what? I don't think I want to do that today. Or this is how I feel about that. I wanted to tell you. It has nothing to do with anger. It has to do with you feeling freer to be yourself and even finding some joy, finally. But if you sit and you allow the thoughts that say, well, I can't ever express what's true for me to the ones I love, then there's the sabotage again. Because you actually can. Who you are can. But your conditioning can't. Still, even when you're in the middle of the path there. And so you can see how your conditioning would look towards authority. And just make that into the issue so you don't have to deal with a condition that says, I can't speak to my loved ones, tell them whatever I want to say. It's just safer. Or maybe it's just safer to take your friend down and your group behind their backs. Yeah, just channeling your anger that way. But I want you to see that that's suffering still. Even if you feel more empowered in some way to speak your truth to people, even if it's not, you know, of course not to the person's face, but even if it's empowering to speak it to someone else, look and see if they're suffering still. Go into your body and say this. I can, I can get angry at my loved ones. I can, see, go there. That's the, that's, the, that's the answer because when people do that, then they start moving into the last or the next, or later. <laughs> I don't like to say done, but the later stage of the work where, okay, now, once you deal with your takedown energy and your shadows and your authority, anything that's keeping you kind of stuck in the middle, we take this turn, which is so beautiful. This is where all the rage right here. Speaking of all the rage in a different way, like all the rage is that when you, start, when you really start seeing an inquiry that you're creating at all, energy really starts moving if you're skillful there. And a lot of getting to that point is just the, the nervous system or the repression resisting the freedom by creating shadows and triggers and pain and, and getting you distracted into the stuff that's arising so that you won't go to what's buried because it's safer to be with what's arising or just being awareness, all that stuff. But this next, when you start taking a turn here, when you really start looking at your shadows, for example, and the authority issue, because then you start listening to me again, and I'm over here saying, hey, you're creating it all, and you haven't seen that yet, and you're still getting tripped up on, on what the newcomers are doing or with taking down your friend who you won't speak anger to. Right? You're not listening to me. I'm over here. <laughs> Should I get angry? Should I get louder? So you can hear me? I don't want to. I've already gone through the later stage. I'm not storing anger anymore. If you want to suffer, you have a right to. That's part of the later stage freedom right there. 
is truly letting everybody be as they are, but still being able to express anger if I see something. Do you want that freedom? I mean, express anger directly to someone or just be myself to people. Do you want that? That's when your suffering goes away. It starts to really go away, including those shadows that you had in the middle of the path or the takedown energy that was making you suffer, even if you felt self-righteous in it. And by the way, some anger repressors are going to have to reconcile their past by, there's some, there's some people who have done them wrong. I've seen just people who have been abused, molested, and part of their path is really in some way dealing with the anger, whether it gets expressed to those people or some may, it's your own path, but look, if you've been harmed, you know, it's sometimes it's more than inquiry. Part of the process is I'm, I'm, I'm going to sue them or something that happened, you know. So I don't want to deter people from taking real action in the world to get to the end of this path because you can't even get to the real freedom if you don't live authentically. And if, if, if what's authentic for you is to let your abuser know what happened and speak that, then you've got to speak that in a way that works for you or is safe for you or whatever recourse is needed there. Just don't get stuck there either. Because we can get stuck anywhere. Just continue with the work no matter what action you take because there's the freedom. You're going to take a turn and you're going to see you're creating it all. And that's all the rage. So what to expect there? I wouldn't even think about it too much. I mean, because you're, you're conditioning. I mean, you can hear me talk about it, but you're conditioning won't let you see it until you do some work around the shadows and the, the, the fear around expressing to your loved ones more. You've got to go there because you're creating the suffering in your relationships at home. We all are. So if I still can't speak to, to Chester, if I can't tell him what I want, I'm going to be in a trigger or I'm going to have a trust issue that hangs on or I'm going to feel shame or I'm going to, something's going to happen. I'm going to feel like he's not paying attention or because I'm not expressing What's true for me, the repression is still creating suffering. And if you trust that, that you're still suffering, that's how you're going to get into the later part of the path because you're going to see you're creating it. You have to do repression work first, including on expressing to people that you love. But what you can expect is it's empowering because at the later stage, you start capitalizing on any remaining suffering. It's almost like you become like open to it. Like, is there anything else here that I just missed? Because I've gotten so much freedom. Why would I want to suffer when I'm creating it? And this is where you start to see, I don't know, this makes me laugh to say it this way. But if at this part, you've seen at the unconscious level, you're creating the suffering. And then at the conscious level, we're allowing it. That's what we've been doing in some of these Eastern practices, like create it unconsciously, allow it consciously in awareness. Create it unconsciously, allow it. Create, allow, create, allow, create, allow, create, allow. And the most you can kind of get there is like a surface piece because you don't get to the root that creates it. That's, that's our work there, see. But here, this is different. This is go to see that you're creating it. Make conscious the conditioning that's creating it when the suffering, any remaining suffering, is still happening. That's what's so empowering. 
and then there's a lot to say about it. I mean, vulnerability is going to look different for everybody because you've gone to repression. The suffering is going to go away. See, when we're suffering, we think that vulnerability is like always feeling wounded. Like I was in college, like that kind of vulnerability. But that, of course you can feel and express hurt and woundedness, but real vulnerability is having all your emotions online and speaking them and saying, this is actually what's true for me. I'm connected to my body and I know. And being true to what you're experiencing. And if you're suffering, being open, right? Because we're creating that too. If I could take how I feel and my experience and just give it to you for like 30 minutes and talk to you while you're experiencing it, I would say, I'm going to take you back to the suffering state after 30 minutes. You can't keep it. <laughs> but I want to talk to you while you're in this state. I'm going to say, look, you can't have this. You can't. Not that you want what I have, but you came here for embodied freedom. I know that you did, even if it's not happening in a straight line. I know you came here for that. And if I could give it to you, I would. Not, probably, because you have to have the insights yourself, right? You want to become an integrated human, whatever that means, <laughs> right? But if I could give it to you and I talk to you, I would say, look, the reason you can't have it is because when you go back to the suffering state, there are things that you're going to feel in your body immediately that you have buried a long time ago. And when you go back into your body, it's just going to feel like a body. You might feel pain. If the repression manifested to that level, you might feel whatever contraction, but it's the, actually the, the experience of separation itself. And you would know that because what I really learned is that separation is, a, is, a, is energetic. It's like physical. It, it feels physical. We feel physically separate and then we feel deficient and lacking with that. And while you were experiencing the lack of that for 30 minutes or an hour, where your body just doesn't feel that separation at all, you don't feel it, you don't feel the deficiency. And so you don't have to sit there and just rest with it either. You won't have to do that. It won't be there. Then you're going to go right back to your body, wherever it is, and I'm going to point out that right there is, is the repression. It's the sense of, the sense of separation and deficiency or lack. And I'll just say a few things about that before I go. I've said it before. <laughs> I like to repeat because this is the freedom is being able to see this. Hmm. The, the thing that you can't see, I think many of us can't see when we start this work, is that it really is a self-realization path, as I said recently in a podcast. You can't see it because everything's buried in the beginning. And you don't know it. Not only does your joy come from what you bury, that's, that's worth the price of just coming here 
to know that and experience that. Sorry, I'm feeling such peace right now. Just sit with me for a moment. Such real peace. If you were to sit with me in this real peace where the suffering is gone, the tension, the contraction, the pain, the sense of separation and deficiency, if I could do it that way with you, your path would be so clear because you would go back to that state of whatever suffering you have and I would show you right then because you would know it. You would have experienced the absence of all that. I would show you how the sense of physical separation comes from the repression and how the deficiency does too. And a real way, a really easy way right now of understanding it, as I've said before in previous podcasts, is that um, the sense of deficiency comes from the emotional deficiency. We're, we're actually deficient in the emotion that we buried here, anger. So that's our feeling of deficiency in the body. And then the mind bamboozles us into stories that distract us from the fact that the deficiency comes from emotional deficiency repression. There's the sense of lack and deficiency. The sense of separation, as I think you would know in this scenario, comes because of your sense, your body, the contractions, and that you have spent your whole life, like me, afraid of feeling and expressing anger. And when you spend every moment of your life making sure that you show up a certain way, good, peaceful, or whatever, all that fear of anger and the anger itself just gets stored there. So much so, and then you're, we're blinded to the fact that that's what has created it. And so we get here, we don't even know that the sense of separation and deficiency comes from repression. That's why it would be hard to show it to you in the beginning. I can only tell you about it. But if I could have you have the experience of no contraction, no sense of separation, or even no deficiency, you could feel it, you could experience it, you could know it's possible and go back to your state and then your work would be so clear for you, I think. Because then you would get it in experience and it would, it would hurt, it would, you, would su you would see the suffering in it more. But since you can't, I want you just to hear it that the funny thing about buried anger <laughs> is that it's the thing that's creating the separation and deficiency, don't believe me, see for yourself. And it's the very last thing that we would ever go to, and yet many of us would love to put an end to separation and deficiency. But if it's the last thing we're going to go to, we're going to still have a sense of separation and deficiency lingering on. that will make your work clear, I think. If you haven't started the path, um, I'm going to put a link. I always do in the description of this podcast episode. There's also a link to it in the about section that explains this podcast itself generally on all the platforms. This link is to a free repression test that will show you what you bury and show you to begin to show you how that produces suffering in your life.
You can also always go to killaby.com and scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll see the free test right there. Thank you for listening.